I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. I'm Caitlin Brodnick. And I'm Ellen Hahn. And we love scams! <laughs> Guys, hi! We have a special guest, a special guest host today, Ellen Hahn. We're so thrilled to have her! Welcome, Ellen. Come on back. You're the best. Thank you. <laughs> I'm excited to be here, as always. She's our super scamspondent, as you know. She's been in multiple episodes because we can't get enough of Ellen. Sue is again on her break, living her best life, taking care of that baby. And the messages you guys have sent us have been the most loving, compassionate, the most beautiful messages. Like I'll say for Scam Wow, for this crazy world that we're in, when we're talking about like terrible people, we have the nicest listeners, <laughs> literally the kindest people. Someone sent Sue baby clothes. I was like, I love you all. So again, we're obsessed with you guys and we're so thrilled to have Ellen on because Sue and I talked a little bit about this at the time when we covered this case, all we could say was alleged, alleged, alleged. And then slowly more things started to come out. And then I texted Ellen and she's like, P.S. I'm an expert on this. <laughs> and that's what you want in a friend and a scam spawn. It's somebody who's like, oh, I've privately become obsessed over this for yeah. only myself. <laughs> I've read all of the articles. I've listened to all I'm the podcasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is my full time yeah. job. <laughs> Also, you're like a housewives aficionado. You were just on a podcast, which we'll plug below you as talking about your housewives. Yeah, I, man, I also feel like really in the year of quarantine, I have needed my housewives. I really. You have. Yeah. You need people that are way more chaotic than you could ever be. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I can't imagine living my life like that. Even if I had that much mm -hmm. money, I think that would just be no. like to wake up and choose that chaos every morning would be so overwhelming. 
You're completely right. And if they don't choose that cast, and guys, we're talking about the Real Housewives of franchise. So that's, it's the Bravo Bay show. It's Andy Cohen's network. It's what I love, you know, podcast bitch sesh, like all these amazing podcasts. People cover it. People adore it because for years, like 15 years or something, these women have been, these incredibly rich women bring you into their lives and the only way to thrive in this scenario is to be chaotic and create the most damage or they kick you off the show. <laughs> so there's the underlying current that if you're not bad shit crazy or getting drunk or like throwing a fake leg across a table during dinner, you know, you're not going to cut it and they're going to ask you to go home. <laughs> so it's, Yeah, it is like fundamentally, I think, really harmful for their lives. I think for all yes. of them. <laughs> and it's their only job security. Like, yeah, I know. Is my mental stability out the window? Great. Great. I'll, I'll be hired next season. Great. I'll get a I'll get a paycheck. <laughs> Fabulous. Um, and so it's really funny because what has been happening recently is that we see more and more of these women showing all of their money, showing how glamorous they are. And then it all seems too good to be true. And in a bunch of times it has been. Now we covered with Caitlin Bitsagai, the scams of the real housewives. We've covered Teresa Judici, Judice, Judice, whatever. Who knows? Don't know how to say it. No one can ever be sure. Yeah. So we've had housewives going to prison. We've had housewives being arrested. And this is the long pulled out drama of Erica Jane, who's married to Tom Girardi, and their divorce and his slowly imploding life, I would say, (laughs) of horror. Right. And I do want to start with Tom because really this scammer Uh, the jury is out on whether or not Erica was in on the scam. And we can talk about that later. But the the fundamental scam is Tom. He is the one that uh, bankrupted his own very prestigious law firm. And it's a Mm -hmm. it was a private firm. So it was truly all on this man. Right. And he was the guy who's infamous for the the movie Aaron Brockovich. So he is a type of lawyer that is known for helping the underdogs. We said that in an episode before, but Ellen, you can go into more detail, but he's sup- supposedly a good guy, but also just a trial lawyer. lawyer. <laughs> yeah, well, it, and it was interesting. I read I read about this. So the, the Aaron Brockovich case was the case, it was in 1996, and it was uh, the residence, Aaron Brockovich like, was working for a law office, and the residence mm-hmm. of this, of the town of Hinckley, which is kind of close to Barstow, so it's like halfway between Las Vegas and Los Angeles. It's like right in the middle of the desert. In Nevada, is it? It's in California, but it's in okay. the middle of the desert. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there was uh, PG&E was like releasing something called hexavalent chromium into the groundwater. And it's that's a carcinogen. So it also sounds like a superhero villain. It does. Like, <laughs> they released him into the water and he murdered everyone. If yep. you told me that, I'd be like, that makes sense. <laughs> that checks out. So he represents the he represents like the people of the town in this case. Mm-hmm. And he gets a three hundred and thirty three million dollar settlement for all of these people. And that was like the largest in history at that time. It yes. blew everyone away. And he was such a hero because these people, what was really hard about this case is that it was people's public water, that it was being contaminated. And so he also went on to multiple news sources and it really got the heartstrings of America as it should that it, it's something everyone's afraid of. You innocently are drinking water from the tap. Everyone says it's false. But this company had known for years that it was creating a toxic environment and kept going. Yeah. So 
what a hero he was at that time. Yeah. What an amazing person. Yeah. And he has a quote that, so that case settled in 1996 and then the movie with Julia Roberts comes out in 2000. Um, And he, okay, I'm going to read this quote that uh, he said, all of a sudden I was part of a very public win that a lot of people understood. The case did me an awful lot of good to put me in a category like that. Hey, you know, this guy can handle these big cases. So basically Mm -hmm. after this case, he becomes the famous lawyer that you go to if something like this happens to you. It gives him so much notice. Right. Like, I was thinking about this. There are not a lot of, like, famous lawyers, you know, like, but this kind of put him in that category. And it was because it was the time when I feel like people were also waking up to sort of these outrageous cases that enormous companies were doing like oil spills or, I mean, you know, the idea that you could win and you could make a lot of money, the Aaron Brockovich of it all winning an Oscar. I, I remember I was like crying and so enthralled with the movie. And I was like, I am Aaron Brockovich. Show you my bra and I'm going to win this case. Like I just, I did go into it. Okay. <laughs> and I did practice my own acceptance speech as Julie Roberts slash Caitlin Brock. <laughs> if anybody wants to know, there's many evenings in uh, my hair wrapped up in a towel because it looked more fancy and talking to my mirror. You know, what? how grateful I am to get this honor. No, I absolutely did that too, but it was to uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's uh, acceptance speech. <laughs> In her pink dress. Hang in there, daddy, granddad. Yeah. Yeah. For Shakespeare in Love. Yes. Oh, Ellen, I've seen that so many times. The unraveling of her bounded breast in that movie was like hot to me. I thought it was too. Yeah. I don't know why it was hot. are coming out. It was so exciting. (laughs) I'd never seen a porno or anything. I was just like, those are beautiful boobs. They're so small and approachable. I can handle them in my face. (laughs) That was all I could handle at the time. (laughs) <laughs> okay, we diverge. Um, but what's so funny, too, and they they talk about a lot is that these lawyers like Tom Girardi um, are not supposed to be very famous. Right. It kind of is an accident for him to be famous because they do make they do make plenty of money off of these cases. Mm-hmm. And at this time, the three hundred thirty three million dollars was the most ever, I guess you would make. So at that moment, he is rich and famous at the same time. Now, if you are a guy who's a trial lawyer, who's helping the underdog, you usually don't make that much money. So I think it was kind of exciting in the legal world too. Like, hey, this guy is baller. Like you can be good and do good and still be rich and enjoying your life. Yeah. And so the way that these, these are called contingency cases. And the way that these cases Mm -hmm. work is that Tom Girardi or whoever the lawyer is, um, doesn't, the, the clients are not paying him any money up front. He will mm. just take a percentage of the settlement that they get. So I okay. actually, and it's pretty high. Normally, I think the industry standard is around 40%. So it's a, it's a lot of money. So he got millions of money. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So it really sets him up as a rich person. Yeah. Now, here's the interesting thing. You can't afford that lifestyle unless you are constantly winning $333 million cases right. all over the place. And there, there are a lot of lawyers that have said in hindsight, you know, like we we knew he was successful, but in hindsight, he was too rich. Like he shouldn't yeah. have like the man had two planes and he should not have been the sort of rich that can afford two planes. You know, it's not sustainable. He wasn't like the duke of a country with old right. money. I mean, that's the sort of luxury that also I think deep down inside all Americans believe that if they work hard enough, they can become a monarch. Like, yes. I think it's like this capitalist idea of like, don't worry, guys, you work really hard. You can act just like the Queen of England. No, we cannot. We don't have that many offshore 
bank accounts and we did not enslave people for centuries building money off of them, nor should you to make that kind of money. Like that money isn't approachable. Like we are not anywhere close to Meghan Markle. Like there's nowhere. (laughs) I think that's why Americans like Meghan Markle so much because we're like, she did it. She married in and now she's she's bringing it down. Locked it down. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. She wrecked the whole place. That is actually the other American dream. It's like, if I can't make it on my own, I will destroy the evil monarch. I will infiltrate and destroy it from within. Yeah. Right. And so, okay, so in 2014 and 2015 is when all of this kind of starts to unravel. It becomes pretty earlier. Yeah, it is. It's a little bit ago. I don't know if you remember, but Erica Jane was on, I think, Watch What Happens Live. And somebody Mm -hmm. like wrote a question because she got sued in this lawsuit in like 2015. Um, Like, oh, you've been named in a suit in 2015. Like, Mm -hmm. what do you have to say about that? And she said something like, you can go back and watch the clip. And I think they played this clip yeah. in the documentary. But she was like, we get sued all the time and there's nothing to it. And that's all I can say. Like, but okay. so this case was um, so Tom Girardi, Girardi Keese had represented a group of women that were senior citizens. There were 138 mm-hmm. of them that had developed cancer after taking a hormone replacement therapy. The drug was called oh, Prempro. That's my biggest fear. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to get a drug. I'm going to try really hard to not get cancer. And it's going to give me cancer. Yeah. <laughs> so and oh, but so these women... Um, So he won a $17 million settlement for these women and Mm -hmm. they get this payout and it's not as much as it should be. Like they can sit there and do the math. Right. And what it was probably offered to them in their contracts, because they do have to sign a multitude of contracts. Right. So you also see. So we we also watched The Hustler and the Housewife, which I did not think was a good documentary. It's not at (laughs) all. It was such trash journalism. But they showed how many letters Tom Girardi would send to clients to make addendums to his previous contract. So, you know, that somewhere they knew the exact amount of money, what it should be. Right. And that should be laid out early. Right. And so that wasn't the number that they were getting was not matching up the num- with the number that they knew that they should have received. And so they then start bothering the company about it. They ask mm-hmm. for like bank records. They ask for like the bookkeeping and they the company refuses to give it to them. So then the women okay. sue. So that's what that that uh, lawsuit was in in Arizona back in 2015. And so Erica is cited in it because the company cites her, I believe. Yes. I believe I, because she's a part of it. But I believe that she has a... Like a stake or something? Yeah. Or? And I think that she like ha- was technically an employee. She had... I know. Her name was on something. a document. It was connected. Yeah. Legally. Yeah. Her name was on a document. So she was included in the lawsuit. And they were probably hoping that if they added her name, it would bring more media attention, which it did. Yeah, it absolutely did. So Tom, okay, so the case is like moving towards trial. And Tom Mm -hmm. then takes out two loans to borrow $17 million to settle the case before it goes to trial. (laughs) All right. He's just going to take care of that fast. Yeah. and fast cash. And these are like not good loans. These are like high interest rate loans. It's like a payday loan for $17 million. Okay. As you do. Yeah. You know, just (laughs) walk right in. The amount of $17 million payday loans I have. And I won't. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) No, no. <laughs> um, so then so then this basically just becomes a pattern. And the other two mm-hmm. big like famous cases are the cases that were in the ho- the Hustler and the Housewife documentary. The first, the very sad one of uh, the Rigomez family, the the guy Joseph Rigomez, who was injured in like the PG&E explosion in San Bruno in 2011. A massive pipeline explosion and just 
houses just went up in flames yeah. out of control. Yeah, yeah, it was, gosh, it was so sad. He's, I think, the most moving part of that documentary. But he mm-hmm. he was supposed okay. to get $12 million and he only ever gets $1 million. And mm-hmm. he's like, where is my I money? I think he was, I think he was actually supposed to get more. Because oh, really? Okay. They show throughout the documentary that he is slowly getting paid out by Tom. So his thread, which was the most interesting part, I thought, as you said, and the most moving is that from the beginning, as soon as he's supposed to get money, it's just slowly coming in. And so he has documented emails and messages with Tom, like, you said I'd get this money. It's slowly coming in. They start saying things like, he's too young to handle money. They start making right. like moral judgments. They then bring on... Tom Girardi actually starts impersonating the opinion of a judge and saying, this judge thinks it's too much money. You're a young kid. Like just these bizarre statements. And then they settle for $12 million. So oh. I'm wondering, and he, out of that settlement that is now, I think that settlement was in like 2019 or 2020. Like it's a most, a very recent settlement, but that settlement was 12 million. He's only received 1 million from that settlement. So I actually think his bulk sum was supposed to be way more money. And not that, I mean, money is so ridiculous, but I think at that time, his girlfriend died in the explosion. Um, Their lives were changed. I don't think he believed or his family believed he could ever work again. So there was so much, no matter what you use money for. There's also a lot of like security mm-hmm. and his future. So I think in these emails in the documentary, Tom keeps talking about the fact that he would spend his money too quick. He's a young guy. He doesn't want to harm his future. Tom Gerardi, who's met this guy one time when he was laying in a hospital bed, is making decision about this young man's life. And his whole family is like, he's incredibly responsible. He was trying to take care of himself and put in investments for his the rest of his life and right. medical treatments. And every every single lawyer that I have listened to or I have read has said, I mean, this is like the number one thing you are not allowed to do as a lawyer. You are not yes. allowed to touch the client's money. You can give them advice. You can say, here's a financial planner I think you should talk to. Like, right. you know, this may seem like a lot of money right now, but it ultimately it won't be that much after taxes, after right. your whole life, et cetera, et cetera. But like, you're still not allowed to do anything about it. And if they like blow their money, if they want to go to Vegas and like spend it all, that is their right. Right. And it it said too within this that when you win a case, it and I think we said this on an earlier episode, it's put into a trust. And in that trust, the lawyer and the law firm is allowed to take out their legal fees, which can be substantial. But then the rest of that is not touched and it's given to the patient. You can give it over a lump sum or over time. So what was bizarre is that Tom Girardi had taken his cut out and then he was deciding how and when and mixing up the amounts and payments that he was doling out, which isn't his job. He's not like a banker. He's just, right. he won the case and you're done. Right. And what's also so crazy is that lawyers are fighting for justice, you know, to try and fight crime, what's right. And so for, them to you, for you to create crime and for you to go against what's right and what's just is the number one flaw, the number one horror yeah. of any lawyer. And he's like, let me do that first. <laughs> You know what? My wife's real young and hot. We got to keep her that way. I'm going to go to like the number one worst thing you could do. <laughs> it's not even like he did off track betting. Like, come right. on, he could have done anything. <laughs> he could have gone to a casino, but he's like, let me drill down on what I know real well, <laughs> which is fraud. And let me work into that. <laughs> 
Let me make that my whole thing. Let me <laughs> let me just get into it. Well, we're going to go. We're going to go big. <laughs> yeah. So the other I, the other big case is the 2018 Lion Air crash in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. That was the first, I think it was the first Boeing 737 MAX plane to crash. And that, Maybe. it, it might have been the second. Boeing had done more. I hate Boeing. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure. It was the, the beginning of when they realized that there was the a massive problem with those yeah. planes. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And oh God, I like was looking at the numbers on this, and uh, the plaintiffs in this case only got two million dollars each, which is like, mm-hmm. oh gosh, that's not that much. Well, also, <sighs> it's, yeah, and it's also foreign money, right? And it's con- converted into niche. So it's like all these hands are in. It it is not as cut and dry too, and it doesn't feel as just. As yeah, well. <laughs> I think also like whenever you're getting money for like lives lost, it's obviously that it's no enough. amount. Yeah, <laughs> no way. You right. want that life there? There's right. nothing. Yeah, there's nothing. Not only did these people lose relatives in this plane crash, they also lost all the money. Like they didn't get any of the money that they were supposed Zero to get. Dollars. Zero dollars. Yes. Well, this is so this is the case that where everything starts to unravel because okay. the those the plaintiffs in this case, the you know, the people in Indonesia, they get an attorney to represent them in Chicago. So kind of all of this case is taking place in Chicago, even though Tom is based in L.A. Right. Um, and they are being represented by this attorney named James J. Edelson. And this is the case that starts going after Gerardy Keese. And I believe that. He was also involved because he they hired local lawyers for another case. It might have been the Boeing or it might have been different. They had hired Girardi and Keese had had a, another large case. They hired local lawyers in Chicago to sort of go through things. And then they never paid those local lawyers. So these lawyers already had a bone to pick with them. Yeah. They're like, you're not paying me anyway. And people think you're shady. And how can you do this also to you know, orphans and widows. Like it just, it hits home. It's one thing to like screw another lawyer over. There might, there must be some, I don't, I'm not a lawyer, but I feel like if any lawyers listening, there has to be some amount of embarrassment too, as being a lawyer and getting screwed over by Tom Girardi. You're like, that's my hero. And he's fucking me over. And also who would believe me? And I should have known better. Or maybe Tom Girardi's testing me and I didn't have the right clause in our contract. Like there's, there's gotta be this this like hubris element to it when you're getting fucked over by considered one of the best lawyers in the world. Right. Well, this is where I think he really got to trade in on his like cult of personality where he was like, I am this great lawyer. I did the Aaron Brockovich case. I get people so much money and people like me. I'm funny. I'm charming. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of intimidating, but in a good way, you know, like. Yes. And he keeps saying on every voicemail that they play in this documentary, which I guess is one of the good things, is that uh, in every single voicemail, he goes, I'm the good guy here. Right. (laughs) If you have to tell someone you're the good guy here while you're talking to them, that's never going to work. You're not the (laughs) good guy. All of our con artists believe that they're the good guy. They believe that they're the victim. I'll tell you through and through. If a con artist, if somebody is conning you to be like, give me your money. I'm the good guy here. (laughs) I know I'm holding up at gunpoint, but I'm the good guy. You want want to do this. You want to get shot in the leg by me. So just give me your money. Okay. So the other thing was that, so in addition to him just like running a Ponzi scheme with these people's money, like he was taking out loans in order to pay back the debts. Like if, Mm -hmm. you know, the the women that came to him and was, and they were like, hey, give us our $17 million. He was like, okay, sure. I'll just, I've spent all this money. He had spent all of these people's money. So then yeah. he was going to take out loans. And that's when like all the creditors start calling. And they're like, hey, mm-hmm. you owe us money. The creditors start calling. And then that's when other people, because it the 
the Chicago case then became public. It became yes. national. It's no longer these like little tiny cases that are horrible cases, but sort of small complaints and small lawsuits going to Tom that he's taking care of right away. Like you said, like he's giving them the, the 17 million. Right. It is creating a Ponzi scheme in the fact that each case he wins, he's paying back his other cases that he's taken money out of their like sacred accounts, basically. So now the Chicago event has made it completely public. And I think it also opens the gates for everybody else who'd been screwed. And they're right. like, hey, he's been doing this for like 20 years. Right. And the the unjustness of it all, the frustration, the pain is when it's all sort of bubbled to the surface. And this was during COVID. Yeah. <laughs> we had a lot of time to sit around and research and be like, this guy's weird. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. that, like, well, and I think also the thing that uh, helps to bring him down is that, like, he didn't have any extra money coming in. He didn't have any cases. Right. There wasn't, he couldn't give somebody a million and say, like, yeah, 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 the rest of it's coming soon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everything, like, stopped in its tracks. He couldn't wine and dine people, too. He couldn't, like, have everyone over and give them the crystal and be like, you know I'm a good guy. I'm the good right. guy. I think that was a lot of, like, people said they could not be be- they could not believe that he wasn't disbarred from the bar because he did so many infractions that were illegal and would throw you out immediately. But they also said that he did so much networking and whining and dining that if you went up against him, you would be considered foolish. Yeah. Or he had so many connections, so many friends. And he paid for so many... High, you know, people in government as well. Yes. Like he gave money to them. Well, did you? Okay, so did you do any reading about his friend that was the investigator at the California State Bar? No. So he had Tell this friend. The LA Times has done a lot of great reporting on this. He had mm-hmm. this friend named Tom Layton, who he um he had spent his career in the sheriff's office, and then he got injured, so he retired early. Um, and then he became mm-hmm. an investigator for the State Bar of California, investigating like claims against attorneys, basically. Okay. So, but so Tom Girardi just like cultivated this like very close relationship with this guy took him to That's lunch what you gotta do yeah yep. he zeroed in he knows he's a shark he knows who he needs to be friends with yes yeah. this, this guy's kids were working at Girardi Keese also mm-hmm. like and he would wine and dine them he would like Tom had a lot of connections in Los Angeles and California and would use the, uh, sorry they're both named Tom that's confusing but yeah. like Tom Girardi and Tom Layton, little both, Tom yeah. <laughs> older Tom, Tom L, we're Tom. calling little Tom <laughs> yeah but they like so basically anytime there were several complaints like taken to the bar about Tom Girardi taking clients money and they were never investigated because wow. Tom Layton just like swept them under the rug well, and you can write a letter saying, I vouch for this guy. I'm your employee and I vouch for him. Yeah. You know, like he's, that's what he's doing and that's what he's banking on. Yeah. Oh, that's so insane. I, I really think that genuinely I got the sense of Tom Girardi, he did believe in his cases. He did believe in helping these pick people and the victim. And when he got into the courtroom, I believe with every fiber in his being that he wanted the best for these people and was trying to get the most out of these companies that were screwing everyone over. But I also firmly believe that like when he leaves the courtroom, he goes into like a slight, you know, wet panic and it's almost like a gambler. Like I don't, I need this money. I don't know what you yeah. like. It almost as if somebody with like a gambling addiction who then it's like a Jekyll and Hyde scenario. And the second the money enters into his company's bank account, his eyes glaze over and he can't like he just it gets very murky as soon as he gets out of the courtroom. Yeah. And I I mean, this is have you heard the phrase like income creep? 
about uh, no. like so there's a theory that like I, I mean and I think it's true that like when you start making if you get like a little raise at work like if you start making a little bit more money it tends to be harder to save money because you just kind of start spending a little bit more oh, naturally yeah. you yeah. feel like you're so fancy right you're why like, not I can afford that to happens dinner. to me every single time any money's in my account I'm like whoa we're going to get pizza <laughs> now it's not the most but it is it is a lot <laughs> i got paid i got paid for something last week and then i was almost i was like inches away from buying an 80 dollar sweatshirt online and i was like you know what I'm i don't need <laughs> no, I, I know I, I will i will help you with that no i yesterday almost bought a 250 dollar dress because i was like i deserve a dress but yeah, you know what you i do I'm not leaving my house. I I also deserve a fifty dollar dress. Like there's sure. also there's like a limit. But it in the middle of the night, I'm like I'm fancy for no reason besides the fact that it's the middle of the night. <laughs> Suddenly, I'm more rich. I'm more glamorous. I'm so fabulous at twelve midnight. Yep. And then I wake up in the morning. I'm like I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> I've made a huge mistake. Yeah. yeah I'm yeah, not yeah. as fancy as I hoped. And yeah. I think that Tom kind of backed himself into this corner. I mean, this whole story is very Shakespearean, I think. Like, he's representing the little guy, and then just over the years, he's spent all this money. He's, like, I think his hubris, I think, got to be so big. Out of control. Like, it really, it's very similar to Bernie Madoff. Like, he just didn't, he couldn't pull back. He couldn't, you know, he had a great career, even if he never made as much money again as that $333 million lawsuit right he didn't he could have still lived in pasadena (laughs) but it was like this bizarre napoleon complex i feel like he's this smaller guy he's rooting for the underdogs he wants to say a big fuck you to the man and then as one of the awesome lawyers his chicago lawyer said he was like he then became the man like there has to be some decorum if you are helping victims who are getting screwed over by big companies and like rich assholes you don't want to then become the rich asshole but it kind of seemed like secretly he always did. Like it almost seemed yeah. like, yes, I'll do the lawyer to do the just thing, but I deserve to be as fancy as these villains in his mind. Yeah. He he deserves that. And then the whole Erica Jane of it all too. I mean, that I believe like his marriage, hers was also a conquest in that sense. Oh, totally. And the upkeep and everything as well as, so as we were saying, like he, wins this huge case and then he creates this lifestyle for himself but his lifestyle also involves his new wife's lifestyle and so Mm -hmm. that is also where this is getting so much media attention because these families are in indonesia they're in you know these small towns and they're realizing they've gotten not a single cent or they should have gotten a hundred million and they're getting maybe one million for like 10 years like it's, it's something's not adding up but then also he happens to marry a famous person and they're very proud to be famous and displaying their wealth at such an uh, an insane amount that everything starts to be shifty. And that's the crux between Real Housewives. It's like, you're going to be on TV. You only get asked back if you're crazy and fancy. And right. then if you owe people money, they're going to notice, hey, this crazy fancy person is spending all my money on wine that she's throwing at that other crazy lady. Yes. Like, I would like my settlement. Yeah, and so the so the story with her like singing career was that like it was just kind of a passion she just wanted to do it and Tom like financed it and bankrolled it. Mm-hmm. And I think that I think that so when she gets on Housewives, 
she, I had read that she was considering just like stopping like the, the return. She, I think she literally said like the return on investment wasn't making sense anymore. Like she wasn't making any yes. money. She wasn't making any money on her music career. Right. And but but she started to make more money when she joined Housewives because, you know, then she's making money with the cast. She's yes. You know, it's like a Countess Luann thing of yeah. like people are going to go to her shows more. And then, you know, it, she gets the book, which becomes like a, a New she York Times bestseller. Deals. She gets endorsement deals. She gets Chicago on Broadway. Yes. And this fa- this like personality has pop star singer included in it. It's right. not like she's a personality and she's also a knitter. And this is something she did. And she got super famous because she knits beautiful dresses. No, right. she came in as a fledgling pop star. It was part of her story. So if she lost that too, it would go against her in the housewife caricatures or whatever. Right, right. And, you know, I, I really think that you can see over the years how like Erica had always been second fiddle to Tom. And I mm-hmm. think that there's a... There was now a very large part of the population where Tom was the second fiddle to Erica. Or they didn't even know who he was. Right. He wasn't the most famous one. Right. Not even second fiddle in the room. Like, just like, I don't know, she's married to some old guy. She's a gold digger, which was what everyone was saying. And so, guys, also, um, Ellen and I just watched the most recent episode for us, episode nine of The Real Housewives. And this is when they first started talking about it. So Erica is on The Real Housewives while all this is happening. Let's back up a little bit. Before all these lawsuits come out, she also files for divorce. And this is during quarantine when everyone's filing for divorce. I'm just going to say it. I didn't think it was that special. I was like, everyone's stuck at home and they want to get divorced. Like, very common. But people are financial advisors people that are owed money from Tom, everyone's ears perk up because suddenly this wife that everyone assumed was a gold digger there to the end is leaving. So if you think someone's in a financial relationship and then they back out of the financial relationship, something must be awry. No one could possibly have imagined that she was unhappy, which, you know, is a big part of it. Um, But they all assume it's a money thing. So I think that's also why After she files for divorce in earlier uh, 2020, then all of the lawsuits and all of these stories just really become flooding. Mm -hmm. So I think she opened the floodgates for that. Yes. The the LA Times article runs on December 17th. A lot of this information was out there, but it was election day was when she filed for divorce. So so yeah, Yeah. so she filed for divorce on November 3rd. And then Mm -hmm. the news really oh, and December is when Girardi Keese files for bankruptcy. I think they're forced into it. It's an involuntary bankruptcy, I believe. Although mm, I might be getting that wrong. They may have like because both Tom, the person and Girardi Keese, the law firm are in bankruptcy. They're doing terribly. Yeah, Yeah, they're (laughs) they're both failing. Who knows? There's a fire sale. Yeah. Okay. There there has been there have been some signs up in my neighborhood in Los Angeles that say like auction attorney forced into bankruptcy, Cadillacs, (gasps) Picasso's office furniture. And really? I did a little Googling. Run, Ellen, run. I don't think it's Girardi Keys because it's No, says, I want to go, though. I do, too. <laughs> you deserve that Cadillac. Who knows how cheap it could be? I deserve that Picasso. You get that. You get that, bitch. I could You're put a fast it, runner. You could literally run. I could <laughs> there put it. right now. I could put it here in my voiceover closet. You should. You really should. It's really going to change your game. <laughs> But then you're going to have to get more and more Picassos and you're going to run into the same thing that Tom did. You're going to have to keep up appearances. Once you have that first Picasso, you need seven. And then I'm going to have to go get a $17 million payday loan. (laughs) That's what's going to (laughs) happen. You heard it here, folks. So we are that we're explaining that while this is happening, while Tom Girardi is 
failing and while all the things are happening, he's also going through a divorce. Right. And and some of the the Indonesian families specifically are saying we've received zero money and I'm seeing this American pop star flaunt her wealth on television. Also, a lot of the small towns, all of the people doing it, they kept referring to the amount of wealth shown and spent and casually talked about when they know that their lawyer has been hiding money from them. Right, right. Yeah. So so this is basically what what else has happened like to current day is that Tom has been, all of Tom's assets. Have, he Tom is in a conservatorship. Tom is Britney oh, yeah. Spears. He went Britney. Mm-hmm. He, yeah, he got Britney. He's cuckoo cray. He is claiming his conservator is claiming that he has Alzheimer's and that he mm-hmm. has dementia and doesn't know what he's doing and doesn't have any yeah. money. So what happens when you go through bankruptcy is that. All of the cases and lawsuits get sent to bankruptcy court. And there is one judge who is basically he's in charge of like auctioning everything off, selling everything off, getting as much money from Tom's estate as he can. And then he will dole that out to the people. To everyone who's due. Yes. Yes. Yeah. All of his debts. And so I think. What was also really shocking is recently one of the judges ruled in favor of, you know, victims that if they can't get it from from Tom Girardi, they can get it from Erica Jane, that he said they can go after her. Yeah, I, I, I also have read. So California. Oh, shoot. I forget what it's called. California is called. It's like a common mm, like common common stuff state. Common so, law criminal. <laughs> No, but basically, like, when you're married and if you don't have a prenup, like, when you get divorced, you and your partner are splitting everything 50-50, be that, like, and that includes assets and debts. So, Oh, debts are split. Wow. Yeah. If anything, I think Erica filed for divorce a little too late if she had figured this out. Um, Yeah. Because it does seem like they're going to be able to, would the order of operations look like the bankruptcy will go first and then the divorce will go second? And inside the bankruptcy, what they're doing is they're collecting every single cent that Tom Girardi has ever spent. So during Erica's career, he did bankroll her career, but he also named her at her. She got she made herself a company, which Mm -hmm. is fine. So she could have employees. She could pay her hair, makeup people. But she also named herself as a company. So Tom could give money to that company. Um, I'm sure there's like weird taxes and breaks as far as like giving money away. Mm -hmm. And he would pay out to her person her person and then this company mm-hmm. that she operated from and performed from and everything i believe that company is her her business her being like i don't think it was an, a separate side small account this was publicly like he's giving to her llc right now the thing is is that because she has made that income in that llc that is why the judge is saying well you can go after her because the money was put in her account like 25 million dollars now the problem is is that that 25 million dollars not all of it is there because over time she spent it and i i truthfully don't think she knew it was stolen money i think she just knew it was money and there was like and we can get into this later cuz i have a whole theory but i think this is like whatever money she was given, she used and spent and didn't ever assume she would have to pay back to victims. Yeah. That I'd never thought. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's a way for him to keep money in his family, in his like persona, because now he wants to be this rich, fancy guy who has airplanes and who makes $33 million a year on court cases. But he also then his wife is an example of that extravagance. So he's keeping up and he needs her to keep it up. So he's actually bankrolling her to keep this lavish 
image alive. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, so the judge and the other big thing here is that the judge in the Chicago case has referred it to the U.S. Attorney's Office for a criminal investigation. So, (laughs) yeah, so that's the big. It's a big deal. (laughs) That's the everything has been civil right now. Like this is all money stuff. But um, there is a there's a possibility that Tom and it. Depending on what they can prove, possibly Erica could face like mm-hmm. criminal charges. Yeah, I think that's where it's going to go. I know. I yeah. think it's really bad. And I think that's where it's going to go. And I think that's why they whipped out the dementia real quick. Because, yeah. so let's talk about, so Ellen and I are doing our homework, but then also we saw in this episode of Real Housewives. Now I know, we know they edit, we know they do stuff, but there were just little clips here and there of Erica talking that reminded me, honestly, of when I worked for a bunch of senior citizens. And you start working with them and they slowly start forgetting things. They slowly start messing up, but they're still okay. It's interesting. So dementia and Alzheimer's doesn't just flash on you and suddenly you're like a princess who's woken up in a foreign land and you don't know how you got here. Like you slowly start forgetting things and it can be 10 years of this slow onset Alzheimer's or dementia. So when I would work with senior citizens, everything would be fine. Everything would be normal. And then suddenly they would tell me a story they had just told me two minutes ago and be like, can you believe it? And I'm like, yeah, we did. We talked about, you know, I I also, you have to be really sensitive. You want to burst their bubble. Then when they do find out that they've been saying something wrong or if they can't read something suddenly or they have an episode, the amount of shame and embarrassment is huge. So then there is a lot of like, there is a lot of personal shame with slowly losing your mind. And so then there's a lot of like backup that work people do and there's a lot of making up for it. So this could have also been going on for 15 plus years because she said something like, you try to talk to him and you're like, you're losing your vision, Tom, or you can't hear me, Tom. And he's like, no, I don't. No, I don't. And that is a very, I felt that rang very true. as like a tall tale case of somebody who is going through slow dementia and very upset about it and dealing with the reality of that and accepting that reality because the people I worked with got very aggressive or very verbal and denied that they were messing up at all because to them, if they did, then they would crack. It would crack them open. So it was sort of interesting because she said too that he could never admit that. So maybe he does have dementia, but it also would have behooved him to come out and say it way earlier Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) while he was whining and dining with all that money. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He should have just retired. And not or, taking on all those cases. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're know, crazy. Like, like normal people do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because you can't choose when dementia really hits. Like you nope. can try, uh-huh. you can fight, but if you solely are losing it, the sooner that you realize it's there, the better. You know, and I hope for myself, I know I will go crazy, but I hope I, when I start to go crazy, I get real with it real quick so that I can be like, okay, put me in a bouncy house. We're good. Like, I don't, I, the worst thing would be if I'm crazy for so long and I don't know it. Like, that, I'd hurt people's feelings. I'm sure I would call somebody, like, you know, a weird elephant human. Like, I would just start saying things that don't make sense. I want to know when I'm crazy fast. And then yeah. just put me away and give me some ice cream. I'm fine with it. You know, I, um, God bless, God, God bless her. My grandmother, she kind of, she just had, she had like dementia at the end of her life. And she just mm-hmm. always had like, she would make stuff up that was fun. She was like, I like, she's like, I saw my brother yesterday. It's like, yeah, well, you didn't, but that's, you know, she was, it was nice. She had nice yeah. dementia. Yes. That's what I want. I want to be yeah. like, you're a super spaceman and you can fly. I mean, you shouldn't tell it to a young child, but I would say that to my 40 year old husband or son, husband. <laughs> 
yeah. I want to be so crazy that I start marrying very young men. <laughs> that would be my thing. I go insane. I have many weddings. Uh, and they're like, you just married somebody last week. And I'm like, I'm having a great time. One. More cake. Yeah. Another one. Get me a new Add dress. The Barbie. <laughs> yes. Yes. I need more shoes and more fancy halls to dance in. Yeah. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Taking us back, are you ready to talk about last night's episode with yes, Housewives? Yes, 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 yes. Let's okay. do it. So last last night's episode with Housewives brought on Erica talking for the first time about all of this. Yeah. Now, people have said, shitty people on Twitter have said, like, crocodile tears are not real or not. It seemed, like, very much genuine that this person was going through a break in her world, and she was trying to hide it, and mm-hmm. she just couldn't. And mm-hmm. that the cameras were there and she was too exhausted to edit herself. That's what it sounded like to me. It didn't seem – there's times where Erica seems fake. There's times with all the housewives see fake. I can't stop staring at their Botox faces. I'm fascinated with their facial paralysis. Like I can't get over it. That's very fake. But there were moments where, yes, her enormously taut, domed forehead was like shivering. And I was like, I don't think she's faking that. Like I think she – in her – if she had the choice, she wouldn't be like shaking right now, uncontrollably no. looking like she's going to pee her pants. Like it seemed very human nature, genuine. Man, you know, you know how you're watching Roni and like Ramona pretends to cry. Like <laughs> that happens oh, yeah. a lot. And oh, yeah, and her eyes just like bug out. And yeah, like, and she's like, uh-huh. she should get that looked at. <laughs> yeah, it's like bad acting. It's very bad. Very acting. bad acting. And it's a lot of like mouth work. Yes. You know, they do a lot of crying and it's a lot of like spreading their face. Yes. And it's like there's nothing coming out of the eyeballs. And I don't I didn't see that with Erica. I don't think she knew about it until possibly the end of their marriage. 
when she kind of figured it out. And I think she may have figured it out on her own. I doubt that Tom ever walked into the kitchen at their Pasadena mansion and said, honey, sit down. I have to tell you something. I'm running a Ponzi scheme and I've been embezzling and stealing from people for years. I don't think that ever happened. Yeah, I don't. And I I think that she and she's even said in the episode she has tried to ask questions. And that's like this whole other element that I want to talk about that she tried to ask questions and he aggressively verbally silenced her and was basically like, you don't know what you're talking about. Get out of here. So that was incredibly triggering for me as a woman who's felt before in my life, like shut up by people. And, you know, because I'm like a, a bubbly, happy personality, I've been, people have made fun of me. People have said, you're not smart enough. And it's like, comes into these old historic, like feelings of inadequacy, but people tend to easily write off, um, Happy, fun-spirited, creative people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just say, you're too dumb. You'll never figure it out. Mm-hmm. Now, I got the feeling that that was the way it was. It was fine with her because there's an element in here that we can discuss later about, like, the relationship dynamic. But I do agree that, like, slowly things start seeping out. Or I think maybe she got a tip. Like, maybe somebody from Dread and Keats is like, look, you don't want this. Like, yeah. you, I think somebody, maybe a financial advisor is like, you don't want to be around this right now. He yeah. Or she got the spidey sense of like, he doesn't remember our address. I, it was interesting. Like, I think that she was going to go to the end, gold digger style, love, passion, whatever you want to call it, be with him, ride or die. But then the second that the weird like shadiness came in and he started being weird and the dementia set in, I don't think it was worth it for her anymore. She's like, the love's not even there. So why am I going to stay for this? Yeah. You know? Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. And, like, they didn't have a prenup. Like, Mm-mm. she probably was, if if Tom had been, like, above board, like, you know, she was probably going to get enough money to be, like, okay for the rest of her life. Fine. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, Tons. I mean, I know that Tom would have, like, fought it, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, Tom's first wife, I read, got $10,000 a month. Like, I would be fine with $10,000 a month. I would be fine with that. No, it would not, like, finance her life, but it would still be a high amount of money a month, like yeah. something. Yeah. But now we I say all of this with the massive, massive caveat that like the way she has been behaving as this news has been breaking has been truly wild and Crazy. pretty despicable. And She's I gross. I've always really liked her and it's really disappointing to watch this. And it's even like crazy. L- like I understand that there may not be things there may be things that she can't talk about because of the investigation because of lawyers. And also other caveat, there's a there is a possibility that she is talking to the feds, that she is telling them everything she knows. Oh, right? Uh... I hope so. I mean, I hope, I hope so after too. all these years, she just snitches on this bitch. Like, just why not? No one's going to come for her. She's not right? going to get stitches. Everyone's already old or dead. No, right. Great. But I, I mean, we we don't know. We're not going to know that for a long time. Mm. It, we we may never know. Who knows? But we like know. the like the social media is just bananas, and I like don't understand. I can't imagine that any lawyer, or any PR team, is like Advising is approving this, this of this. <laughs> yeah. 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 She's going off the deep end. She is a person who's like in a straight panic. And that is well. But also you could take that either side. Like you could be like, oh, because she's been hiding this whole time. I think she's realizing that her life's falling apart. And I think she was she never thought that she would be criminally 
indicted or she'd right. be she'd be charged with any of this. It really rings true to the Teresa Giudici thing that she's sort of involved in this nice, luscious lef- lifestyle. Her husband says, don't worry about it. We've got it taken care of. And then mm-hmm. suddenly she's in it. And I think Erica zeroes in right in that jail sentence and experience. And she's like literally shaking. And the other thing too is that Erica on the show or personality is always like, I'm a girl from Georgia. Like I'm a home girl. I used to be a stripper. Like I got up from my bootstraps, mm-hmm. but only until 27. And then she has said she has not had to do any sort of care for herself, her home, her family since then. Yeah. So then she has spent the last 22 years or whatever erasing any sort of any sort of strength she'd have in herself of being an independent person in that sense. Like she said on the show, she doesn't know how to do laundry anymore. She's washing her own dishes. I'm like, honey, I wash dishes five times a day. Like the the amount of things that she's dealing with is just really coming contrast into what she has been so proudly toting all these years that she's just like everyone else. And she actually is damaged in that way. Yes. It's like very inept. Like, she keeps, it's, like, so jarring to watch her, like, walk around this house in Hancock Park that she's renting for $9,000 a month and be like, it is so small. It is a great house. Yeah. It is lovely. That's bullshit. It has a pool. Yeah. I would love to to live there. Oh, anybody would. And the thing is, is that, like, yeah, it would be terrible if you lost your money in the Great Depression, but your husband is literally a criminal (laughs) against the saddest worst victims that no one would ever want to harm his basis of his trials are how horrible these people's lives are that's why you're in this downsize honey like you're not in this downsize like read the room like suck it up a little bit these people don't have their sons and daughters and mothers anymore you just don't have a cathedral ceiling anymore like you really have to wrap it up yeah do you this is a housewife's deep cut but do you remember (laughs) on orange this was like on orange county in like I don't know, the probably like 2010-ish, but there was a scene of the housewife Lynn who made the cuffs. Um, she was served, <laughs> she was served an eviction notice because her oh. husband had stopped paying rent on their house. Or uh, I think Oh, condo. I didn't know that. Yeah. It, it was on the tail, it was like OC was on the end of the um the 2008 financial crisis and the housing crisis. Okay. Okay. And the husband had like lost, you know, he'd made all these investments that were really overvalued and they lost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And I I was thinking about that scene. Like that scene is very, it's like, a, it's, a, it's a drama scene. It, like it, it could be, it's like out of a play or out of a TV show. Right, it's right. very sad. She's very disappointed. She's very upset. She's obvious. Like I was really startled in the, um, in the episode from last week where Erica, Lisa, and Crystal were all sitting around talking about yes. their finances. And that yes. Crystal, that Lisa Rinna, it totally makes sense to me that Lisa Rinna knows her finances because she and Harry Hamlin work. They both work. I bet they and both have And she has a separate bank account. And she want, She said, I like to see where the money comes in, which yes. I agree with. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Um, and, and then I was really surprised that Crystal had no idea because she's, it no seems idea. to be... She's such a, on the show, she seems to be such a, like, type A personality. She runs the schedule. She runs the house. Competitive, aggressive, um, on top of it in every way. Right. And, like, that she Mm -hmm. just knows that she, that the bills are getting paid. It's like, oh, you need to look at the accounts. You need to know, even if you and your husband are sharing money, like, totally, like, you need to have the login for Chase Bank and, like, Mm -hmm, look mm -hmm. and see what's in there and see, Mm -hmm. see what the credit card is. And I'll say, like, it was interesting because, again, if we're talking about, like, is Eric in on it, this and that, you know, no one can really know to the end of the day. But there was such truth and 
vulnerability when she said, if I'm going to give you an advice, it's know what's in your bank account. Yeah. Like that doesn't sound like somebody who is scamming. Like it might have been somebody who thought she knew what was in the bank account or right. somebody who had been alluded to it and and had some idea or asked a couple questions. But she, I genuinely feel that she had no idea how fast things were moving, yeah. where the money was coming in. Even if she did know how much was in there, she probably didn't know that the loan was a shady loan of $17 million and that it was only in the bank account for a week because it was paid out again to other women. Like, I just think, I think that there's the, the elements that she described and sort of also the shock on the other women's faces being like, I guess I should ask my husband where our money is. It, that's a whole nother element to relationships, which is also right. I want to talk about, which is like my second half of this, is that there's a whole level of finance and relationships and romantic relationships that get really muddled. And I think that when you're that wealthy and you run in those circles, there is this attitude and... Uh, sort of swagger that your wife doesn't need to know anything because you'll never mm -hmm. stop making that money. She'll be taken care of forever. Like the old timey, I ask for your hand in marriage. I'll provide this life for you and you'll never look back. Yeah. So then if you ask about the money, if you want to see details, you are offending that mm -hmm. person in your, you know, you're, you're mixing that table in the relationship because you believe you will provide an enormous amount of money forever. You never have to worry or think about it. So to question or bring any reality shine any light on the situation is actually incredibly offensive and disrupts this bizarre balance that you've created. And I think Tom and Erica had a pretty traditional marriage in that sense. Yeah. Like yeah. he, you know, he was the breadwinner. She stayed at home. Yeah. She went to dinners. She went to parties. She looked nice. She knew the title of being political and she was happy to be a trophy wife. Like she was very, she very much understood her role and yes. enjoyed it and was like, I think that's why people are so obsessed with this story because Erica for a long time was thriving as a housewife. Yeah. She also, I'll say, might not have been the richest housewife, but she was the most creative housewife aesthetically. Yeah. She brought a creativeness. She brought a couture. She brought a style, a fun, like joie de vivre with color and fashion and money that no other housewife had. Yeah. So she was actually in this position. I mean, you can call her a gold digger if you want, but she was a thriving gold digger. She was like the queen of the gold diggers, doing it the best, super independent, doing music videos about fucking random ass men while still making money from her old ass husband. Like it's, she really was winning in so many yeah. ways. And so I think that's why in the shit documentary where like Daniel Staub and all these disgraced dumbass housewives are like, I knew she was trash. It's like, no, you didn't. Everybody was jealous. And I think that's why the media has just gone crazy because everyone's like, it's too good to be true. We, we all want to be that thriving person with no creative input or uh, any sort of restrictions on our life and our money. Right. And she did. She had it. Right. It's like she she didn't have financial limits. Whatever she dreamed of, she could do. If she yes. wanted something, she could buy it. And it was and also like not the Paris Hilton of it, that you're an heiress and you didn't work for this money. Being married to a shitty old man is a lot of work. Like yeah. I also think there's this element of the the woman's American dream, the wife, you know, the traditional housewife American dream of like, I could put in that shit work hours. I could work my ass off in this like dick and come out making all this money. There, yeah. That is something that you do see. It is a caricature for a reason because there are some relationships that are a business deal, you know? And so to see her 
people got upset about that because it doesn't always work out. It doesn't, you can't always be as free as you think you are. Right. I think that like her personality of Erica Jane was a huge release for that, that she got to be this like sexy pop star who was raunchy and patting the puss. And she could say, look, I'm, yeah, I'm thriving in this. Like you can all say that I'm this like tied down housewife with all these like you know, serious law husband and this intense, scary house, but look how free I am. And it was, it was as much an expression for her as I think of he living vicariously through, I think he's very competitive. Yes. Deep down. And I think that makes a great lawyer. And I think it makes a great card game player. My mom's incredibly good at cards. And um, so I think there's this element of being super competitive that he did want his wife grabbing her crotch on national television to be like, and she comes home to me. There is something about that that is also a trophy to him in that way. Oh, for sure. So I don't think he wanted to stop bankrolling it. You know, (laughs) even if it was losing money, it was worth it to him to invest in that. Right, right. Yeah, I'm sure he got off on the fact that she was, well, I'm sure, I'm sure he felt both ways. Like he got Mm -hmm. off on the fact that she was so popular and so sexy and like raunchy and then was also horrified when she started to outshine him. Yeah. She said that also on the episode that was sort of revealing that she said, you know, it got to a point and then she'd hug him and he wouldn't hug her back. And he never came to see her in Chicago because he was pissed that she really was shining. And there's this ego element. I mean, they've, they've said it on Housewives with professional athletes. They're like, you know, they like to be the biggest person in the room. Yeah. And when the housewives start to become more famous and their professional athlete husbands who, in a way, have gotten them that clout and money and fame and attention, the husbands become very upset. And it sounds like Tom wishes he was a ball player, but he's yeah. five foot five. So who knows? <laughs> you know, who knows? Who can say? Um, okay. So, oh, I'll say one thing too in this, before we move on, in the documentary, they showed so many pictures of him when people were like, he was a snake. And they only have one picture of him like smiling like a really pleasant person. Like the documentary tried so hard to be like this piece of shit. There's not one smile where he's not like in a beautiful suit, smiling, looking like he's going to help save your life. Like it, it, it was so funny. They couldn't get any angles of him, even a smirk. I was like, you guys are trying. You're really trying. It was, <laughs> it was so jarring to me to be like, there's a lot of like very good information out here about all of this stuff and y'all put together a shitty documentary oh it was such a bad and alan i watched everything with alan and he was like this is so inappropriate journalism like the way to start it they started immediately saying like erica did it basically like and you have these like dated housewives that no one wants to talk to going like well i've met her once and i'll tell you what (laughs) it's like ew please fast forward when danielle staub was like i worked with her it's like you were on Watch What Happens Live together. No, no, no. Yeah, so did the PA. So did Crafty. Like, we could all have worked with her. <laughs> like, it's just like, move on. Also, I couldn't stop staring at her face. These women, it's like a study of the evolution of plastic surgery. Yeah. yeah. Like, you can tell the early Botox users that foreheads are receding so fast that they have like a 15, like a five head, like a 15 head. Like, their foreheads are so deep, but so taut that you're like, is that is that clay? Like, what's happening? Where are we? I can't. It, that was the most distracting thing. I was like, well, her chin looks okay there. Yep. She just had that surgery. Well, her eyes look better there. She's more awake here. She must have had fillers. I, that was all I was looking at. <laughs> it's very hard for me to focus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So then what I wanted to bring us to, which is another topic, which is it an important scam that I do not think is talked about enough. And I think is I'm learning about too, based on my own 
curiosity experience and based on this sort of case and watching last night's episode is this concept called financial abuse. Oh. Now, I find it's really interesting. So I actually saw this incredible explanation of financial abuse. It's from memphisdivorce.com slash Tennessee slash divorce law, financial abuse, narcissist, money. (laughs) So I looked up like assholes holding money or men holding money in divorce with women. Mm -hmm. So there's this entire level and I'm going to be reading. So excuse me if I mess up. This entire aspect to abuse that comes out often in divorce, and it talks about financial abuse. It's called, it said, domestic financial abuse may be less talked about, but it's just as frequent. In fact, many domestic violence victims also suffer financial abuse that makes it even harder for them to escape an abusive situation. And financial abuse can be as devastating to the victim and the children. So this is Miles Manson from Tennessee, He said that financial control can be a part of a nefarious plot and key part of making the victim feel impotent, dependent, and isolated. Financial abuse is economic and physiological. The victim knows little about their personal finances, sounds like Erica Jane, because the controlling spouse is so secretive, some victims never know the extent of the abuse. They just know they are trapped. At first, they might have been rational bias for one spouse taking primary responsibility for overseeing family economics, but the relationship morphed into an abusive one. He also says a gilded cage is still a cage that because domestic financial abuse is about control and it becomes an insidious trap. And he said financial financial bullying isn't always obvious either. It can be in your face or hidden along with the secret assets that are hidden. So here's the other thing. If Tom Girardi or people like Joe Judice did against her, well, that's there's more really interesting information. I'm going to keep going. But that is a form of her saying, like, I didn't know where it was. That is a form of financial abuse and a spousal abuse to hide things, to put things in her name and to not let her know about it. Yeah. Which sort of sounds like as she explained, like she'd ask questions and he'd bark back at her until she just shut herself up. And if you think of the most incredibly persuasive, controlling, aggressive lawyer, one of the most famous in American history, in your face every day as a person, probably reminding her that she did not come with her own money, probably reminding her that this is all his. She's nothing without him. I mean, I the opportunities are endless of a way you could deeply control someone in their life. Yeah. So for people to say, that's what I think the other, the myth of the gold digger, there's so much pain and suffering and abuse inside those relationships as well. And it yeah. looks like, well, you're just young, hot and pretty and you benefit, but there's so much that goes behind behind goes on behind the scenes. Also, I was going to say, you were saying she was acting weird. I think it's because she was, was playing a character in a sense. She was yeah. being the good, doubt, dutiful wife and being that politician wife in a sense. And now it's not going well. So she literally like doesn't know how to compute. It's like a robot short circuiting. <laughs> like she doesn't know how to do her dishes or how to communicate. And she might bone Archie Hammer. <laughs> it's right. just like very weird. She's like in a psychotic place. Okay. So I will just say this for any listeners who are going through this. I know that I, as a woman, have felt, well, I have no fear going bankrupt. (laughs) I'm like, you know what? Cash me out. Like, I really, I don't have a fear of being penniless. I'm sorry to my family and loved ones. But I do have a, I do have fears of financial inadequacy if I'm at like a restaurant with people and I know that they can just keep ordering drinks and hors d'oeuvres until the day's over. And I would love to be a part of that. And I want to behave that way. 
but I do feel that pull. Or I have yeah. a friend who I know is providing way more out extracurricular events for her son because they can afford to hire anybody they want. You know, I, I do feel those moments of inadequacy. So I do know, based on my small experience of that and, you know, being short for cash, being on unemployment, like I've had my life experience, um, that it makes me feel embarrassed. I do not want to talk about it. And I don't want anybody to know. And I will continue mm-hmm. the facade of, guys, I'm totally fine. It's it's so easy. Yeah, split it on my tab. We'll put it together. Right. You can Venmo me later. Like, I will coax any situation as hard as possible to make sure that people don't figure out how uncomfortable I am, which is, I will happily admit that. It's very hard for me to do that. Yeah. And you, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that a lot of people feel that way. I've... Yeah. I have at earlier points in my life, and I think I don't anymore because I've just gotten better at just being really clear about, like, I can't afford that right now. Like, I love it. Yeah, I'm working on that. Look, and it's really hard. I actually saw – I think this was a viral – it was a viral thing I saw on Instagram about a bride who – she asked, like, a group of her friends to be bridesmaids, and then she, like, sent around, like, a list of the, money. like, the, of money and, like, expectations. Like, mm-hmm. this is, I think, how much the dress will cost. This is, I think, how much the shoes will cost. And it was, like, you know, she broke everything down. And then at the end, she said, if you can't afford this right now, just let me know. And that's fine. Like, we will yes. still be friends. And it's, like, and I think yes. it, it behooves all of us to be very open about money, to be very honest about it. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of shame because it's that idea yeah. of like at any moment, it, I think people put pressure, especially in our generation right now, of people being unemployed, people being down on their luck. There's like four people that maybe made some incredible Etsy 3D computer product that is now a billionaire, but it's so right. shoved in our faces in social media and in the media to go like, I really think it's an overcompensation for how horrible the economy is. But they're like, hey, look, this could be you. This could be you. So if it's not us, if we aren't making that gorgeous face mask that's making million dollars a year, uh, then you feel inadequate and you feel yeah. embarrassed. So I think they there's a lot of that, too. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. that was my little tangent to say I could be any of these people. <laughs> so if you're listening, they say this is, this is what this lawyer says. This is what to look for. Here are some examples of things the controlling spouse may do to the victim. Some of these really rank true to me as something that it sounded like Tom could have done or was currently doing to Erica Jane. Okay. Conceal assets to prevent an inequitable property division in divorce. So when you divorce, you don't know there's you know, hidden things. Dole out small amounts of money as an allowance or no money at all. Make the victim account for every nickel spent. Make the victim sign legal papers without knowing what they are. Steal the victim's money. Take the other spouse's paychecks without discussion or explanation. Prevent the victim's career enhancement, even sabotaging employment. Um, Object to any cash-paying job because the victim could keep some of the money. Making it more difficult for the controlling spouse to track every penny. And prevent the, the victim from working outside the home. The the other thing, too, this sounds similar. The abuser may keep their spouse in absolute darkness mm-hmm. as to the marital resources and debts. Yeah. Um, so there's something like prohibiting credit cards, criticizing and demoralizing the other spouse's poor spending habits, and then accusing the victim of wasting marital resources on paramour, gambling, or drinking problem, even though there's no basis for allegation, or it had happened at one time. So then they use other like 
historic things in their life to use as evidence. Mm -hmm. Now, this is so interesting. So lack of communication can also be an issue and also reasons for couples for filing for divorce, Um, keeping the other spouse's name off material, like off titles of property, not letting them know, putting money in an early IRA or 401k or pension plan, despite the penalty for early withdrawal and fraud. So he was putting a lot of money into her accounts. And I think at times she didn't really realize it. Now here's really interesting. So financial abuse can be criminal too, as with fraud, embezzlement and extortion. So here's the thing. These could be things that then throughout all of this, if her lawyers are on top of it and if she has a good enough case, if she works with the FBI, if she's keeping notes, she could then file a criminal complaint against him. Mm -hmm. So these are the examples that are criminal. Using extramarital affair to extort money from the victim's professional practice, embezzling money from the family business and threatening to blame the theft on the victim, or forcing the victim to commit financial fraud of another form of abuse, an example of forcing the victim to defraud social security or disability benefits or food stamps. So it's very interesting. And he goes to say that you can provide this in court. Like it can be challenging, but in court, you can show full disclosure of assets. You can show text, you can show information, but it's really important to keep track of this and provide information. If you feel like this is where the relationship's going, this is the shady place. And I think it's so important for anybody listening that like, even if you think someone's like kind of being a dick and not really being honest and shitty, that could also that could eventually lead to like them being right. a, in a way criminal. Right. Like, you, you know, we take a lot, I think, in any relationship, you know, heterosexual, anything, homosexual, anything like whatever you are. It doesn't have to be the husband and the wife. But in these relationships, we take a lot and we we get a lot of shit from our spouses and we put up with a lot. But some of this could be a form of financial abuse that it, at least it's worth for you knowing and putting it on yeah. your radar yeah. and saying, I... I don't like the way this is going and I need to change our patterns. Yeah. So I, that was what I was very important that I wanted our listeners to know because I don't want anyone to fall victim to that. And I think the more we talk about money, the more honest we are about money, the better. Yeah. And money is like, I mean, p- people say this and it's a cliche and like money is power and not yeah. in that doesn't necessarily mean, I mean, obviously that can mean like evil, like nefarious, but it's control also, too. It's, it, it's like control of your life. It's your independence. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's really mm-hmm. important that you know what's happening to it. I, when I was first with Alan, like when we first got married, everyone's like, oh, you'll have a joint bank account. And I didn't want to have one so that I could secretly buy him Christmas gifts on a credit card or a bank account. And then I could be like, he's not going to ask where that Amazon purchase is. Now, I'm so glad I did because it's also put like a fire under my ass. Like if my bank account's low, I'm going to bring in more money. There's no like, you know, I thank God, like we, we share everything really well, but I have always liked keeping my separate bank account because it, it does give me pride and self-esteem. Yeah. It's so simple. Yeah. We share, my husband and I share almost all of our money and we mm-hmm. were both, you know, performers. And so we have like yeah. our own EJ Global, like our, our own little yeah, LLC. You got it. Um, yeah. But like we both do have like little separate, we both do have separate accounts. And like it's different for every couple also. Like it I have is. friends who keep, who really keep most of their money separate. And then I also mm-hmm. have friends who do 100% everything together. It's just all about communication and figuring out what works for you. Yeah. One of my friends, she, all the money goes in the same place, but she's in control of it. He is like the earner, but mm-hmm. she does all the doling out and bills and everything. So cool. it's sort of like he, if he's providing it, she's handling it in this. And it's interesting. We are talking about like very like heterosexual cases because yeah. this is the real housewives franchise of older men and women 
in their like 50s to 80s with these bizarre financial like fluctuations. Right. You know, not and it's not just um, isolated to those specific couples. Yeah. So that's amazing. So Ellen, this was so fun. Do you, so I hypothesize that maybe we're going to come back and she is going to come through this as the victim of Tom Girardi as well. And she could save herself in that way. And yeah, I, she does. I think she could, but she's not doing it right now. She's making herself look like a real criminal right now. No, she's not doing a good job of it. She really needs to learn how to do the dishes. She really needs to stop fucking some creepy ass men who are into like, you know, car- what is it? Cannibalism. And yeah. she's soups creepy right now. And she has a chance to really get out of this. But I don't know when. Or yeah, if but. It'll happen. She needs to have a come to Jesus moment. So she does. She does. I I uh, I feel disappointed in Erica. I know because you know what? That's the thing too. If somebody if somebody's constantly telling you, sort of like Tom was, he kept saying, "Look, I'm a good guy," and she's like, yeah. "Look, I'm just a regular old person." Yeah. And then it turns out he's not a good guy, and it turns out like she doesn't know how to like lock her garage door. Like right. they actually aren't the same. <laughs> they're not. Right. There's a lot of fraudulent things happening right. to themselves personally. What they're saying to themselves <laughs> and what they're saying to TV. Exactly. So, guys, thank you so much. That was our episode on Tom and Erica. And I'm sure we're we're recording this a little bit early, but I am positive things will change like within a week or two. So we'll give you these updates. And Ellen, thank you so much. You're thank such you for a queen. Me. Stop. We loved having you. It's such a joy. Such a joy. And thank you so much, Kate. You're amazing. So, Ellen, is there a place where people can find you? We're going to promote you all on social media. Is there anything you want to add? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm on social media at Ellen Hahn. On, actually, I'm only on Instagram, but at Ellen Hahn. That's and good. And you can follow the book that I wrote at Feminist Fairy Tales Book yes! on Instagram. Yeah. And I saw, um, Ellen, you were on a trip home and it was in a bookstore and I was freaking out. I was talking to you on Instagram. It was <laughs> like you do well, with your friends. It was hysterical because I, um, I needed to get a copy from my grandma really fast. And so the yeah. fastest way to do it was to go to the Barnes and Noble in Kansas City. And I looked it up online and they had a copy there. So I like trot myself over to the humor section and I'm like, I don't see my book anywhere. And yeah. then I had to ask where it was. And it was in uh, the women's studies section. <gasps> they put us hey. with smart people. Yeah, they did. Because you they are did. smart I and it. funny. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Oh, Ellen, I'm so happy. Guys, Feminist Fairy Tales. Uh, it's incredible. It's lovely. And it was translated in Polish. I just can't say enough great things about it. I'm so excited as an author. I'm like, oh, you got a global translation. That's really exciting. You had foreign rights. Like, <laughs> I'm so interested in all these details. Uh, yes, guys. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening. And we will see you next week with another crazy ass scam. We love you. Bye. Bye. everyone. It is your best girl, Sue Smith. I just wanted to pop in and let you know that I am still going to be on a little break from the podcast. I am not going, this is not goodbye. This is, my life is crazy. I need to step back for my sanity, for the sanity of the people around me. I need to just pop in here and there. I'm going to be on some episodes a la carte. I'm going to be on Patreon. You know that I'm looking up late at night reading Reddits for scams. So I will be popping in here and there. But going forward, Caitlin's going to take the lead on this podcast and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great because she's great and she knows how to get shit done. So 
I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I, we don't apologize for as women for our decisions. We do not apologize. But yeah, I just wanted to be transparent and let you know where I'm at in my life. Okay. Thank you. I'll see you soon. Bye. And I'm sorry for the planes in the background. Uh, I don't know what's happening in my neighborhood. I'm not sorry. I don't apologize. But I'm sorry that you listen to it and that it affects your eardrums. So it's not my fault, but I'm sorry that affects you. Okay, bye. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.